Some scholars and Jewish rabbis believe that this psalm, all, all the way through Psalm 119, were psalms that were sung when, and some even say while, they laid the foundation to the second temple, or while it was being built. And so, in, in one sense, this psalm is significant of a, like a new beginning. Psalm 107, it's kind of cool, uh, like I said, think about it. They're singing the psalm as they're laying the foundation to the second temple. And so, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, after the Babylonian captivity, after they come back to the land, they're, they're looking back, so to speak. It's a psalm that's retrospective on God's redemption, on how good God is. And basically, they're just tripping out. They're marveling at his mercy. And so, you know, one of the things about Israel that you see over the ages, they learned a lot about the Lord and, and really through their, their mistakes, their mishaps, and how merciful he is. And what they do and what we see here in this psalm is that what they're praying is as they look back and see God's faithfulness, they can then look forward uh, to the future and look forward with hope. And so one, one last thing before we dive in, if I had to give a title for today, I would be weird like I normally am. I would, I would call it thanks living, okay? Thanks living, not thanksgiving, but, but thanks living because what we see in life, and I trip out, you guys, I trip out on how people are going sideways and backwards and leaving their family and going back to drugs and going back to alcohol and looking at all these crazy things and they know that God was nailed to a cross for them. And they're still doing these crazy things. And, and to me, I'm like, wait a minute, time out. Jesus died for you. And you mean to tell me that you can't live for him? All it takes from us is a life of gratitude. Thank you, God, for, for making me, for loving me, for redeeming me. And if I didn't get anything else, if that's all I had, I would have enough to live a life of gratitude. And so today we're going to see that. He's going to keep telling him over and over again, you know, that we would give thanks. But again, it's not just Thanksgiving Day. I think for me, I would call it more of a thanksgiving life. I read a story about a little boy who was asked by his father to say grace uh, at the dinner uh, before they ate. And so as everyone's there waiting, the little boy started looking at all the little dishes on the table, and he was kind of scrutinizing at each, and each one of them. And so after looking at all the dishes, he bowed his head and he prayed honestly. He said, Lord, I don't like the looks of it. Uh, but I thank you for it, <laughs> and, and I am going to eat it anyways, you know. And, uh, and sometimes we look at our life, and we're like, ah, I don't know, Lord, this, I don't know, does this make sense? And, and what we have to do is trust God and just know that he will take all those things, and he will use it for good. And so, uh, verse 1, he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Now this introductory way of giving thanks, it links this psalm to the previous two psalms. Both of them begin in the same way. And it, and it starts with the giving of thanks. And then he says why there in verse 1. Because God is so good. And, and I think that now for us as Christians, we've been reading the Bible for a while. We know what that means. That means that God works everything 
together for good. Huh. We're like, we're like, what do you mean God is good? What does that mean? To me, that's what that means more than anything else, that he will take all the different you know, tragedies and calamities of life, all the different experiences we have, the ups and downs, and somehow he weaves it together for good, right? And that's why we give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Even though we're bad, he blesses us. Rather than giving us what we deserve, he's rich in mercy, right? He's full of mercy. He's a merciful God. You know, I don't know how your day was. Maybe you guys did good today. Maybe you dotted every I, crossed every T. You lived a life of obedience. Maybe uh, you had a really bad day. Maybe you yelled, you know, at, at your dog or something. I don't know. You cut somebody off in the freeway. You got mad at them because they did that to you. I don't know. Maybe you're dragging your feet in here and you're thinking, man, I've blown it again. I don't know what's going on, God. It's just so good to know that our God doesn't deal with us according to our righteousness, according to what we deserve. His love for you never changes. Oh, oh give thanks for the Lord. He's good. and His mercy endures forever. You know, that's why one of my favorite bands is Mercy Me, right? Because that's what God has done uh, to us. Uh, mercy Me, Lord. Look at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of of the enemy you know and I, and I like that let the redeemed of the Lord say so in other words let them tell their story let them speak out right if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ then you know basically what we find is we have a story to tell instead we sold ourselves to be condemned but Jesus bought us back with his blood we have been redeemed from the hand of of the enemy that's that's huge i think sometimes we forget that but but because of the fact that we've been redeemed the psalmist encourages us he says let the redeemed of the lord say so don't just say so don't don't do it like that okay you know you you say so uh, right here we reread it let the redeemed tell your story speak out uh, shout it out be bold about what God has done for you. Your story, uh, it never gets old. You know, listening to Ryan's testimony, we were going through all the different schools and all the different places. Every single time he shared it, it never gets old. And that's his story. But I will say then, because some might say, well, mine's not as dramatic. Every single one of your stories is absolutely just as dramatic. You just have to really kind of catch what God has done for you. You know, and you have to go out and you tell it because it was so cool. You guys don't realize the power of your testimony in the book of Acts chapter, and the book of Acts three times, Paul shared his testimony, chapter 9, 22, and 26. And so you tell your story. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then you just have to share the gospel. And you watch what God does. You know, especially for us as Christians, thinking that we've, knowing that we've been redeemed, First uh, Peter 1, 18 through 19 says it wasn't with gold or silver, but it was with, think about this, the precious blood of the Son of God, right? He, he redeemed us. And in the book of Revelation chapter 5, when they thought there was no hope, that there was no way that they were going to be redeemed, then Jesus shows up, right? The Lamb who was slain. 
And it says in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so let me ask you a question, you know, and it's something maybe, you know, like you can kind of do as a homework assignment. When was the last time you went out to speak about what Jesus has done in your life? Some of you here, it happens pretty frequently, but maybe I'll bet you almost anything if I was a betting man for most of us, it's been a while. So what he's saying right here is let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Go out and tell your story. You know, I like what Adrian Rogers said. He says there's only two commands for the Christian, really. Jesus said, come and go. Right? I mean, isn't that how it works? Come, get saved, go, tell people. And that's what this psalm is all about. You know, that's what God did for Israel. Notice what we read in verse 3. And then gathered out of the lands from the east and, and the west, from the north and, and from the south. And you, know, and you might just gloss over that and you think it's not a big deal. But man, these are people coming back to Israel from all over the world. I mean, this is God you know, taking care of them. That, that's why, again, scholars believe it was probably after the Babylonian captivity, but we're not 100% sure because at the end of the day, Israel's whole entire history is a story of God redeeming them, so to speak, from every direction. You know, you look at the map, and, and there on the, on the west, you got the Philistines. On the south, they were redeemed out of Egypt. On on the east, you know, you've got Moab and Edom and Syria. On the north, that's where the Babylonians would come in. God redeemed them from every direction, right? And even today, if you look at Israel's history, they're still getting gathered into the land from all around the world. It's so amazing what God has done. And so I think in looking at this psalm, the first three verses are probably more of a a summary of their history. But then the psalmist goes on to give us four specific situations, uh, four, I don't know, types of people that, that God shows mercy to, whom God has redeemed. And what I want to encourage you guys tonight as we go through it is kind of search your heart and ask the Lord, God, which one, which one am I? Am I any of these? Uh, number one, are, are anyone here feel lost? Like you're lost in life you're you're kind of like you know wandering in the wilderness if you were honest spiritually speaking now now being in the wilderness is not always there you're not always there because you're being disciplined by god sometimes god you know he brought them out of egypt and they're in the wilderness and there's an 11 day journey it's healthy or whatever two years getting the law at mount sinai that's okay but not 40 years so anyways i i think some people are wandering in the wilderness and we're going to see that first of all we, we read in verse 4 they, they they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way they found no city to dwell in hungry and thirsty their soul notice fainted in them then they cried out to the lord in their trouble and you guys are going to see this in all four cases they didn't just cave in they cried out they didn't just, you know, play at praying. I mean, they really lifted up their voice to the Lord. And it says he delivered them out of their distresses 
And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. And then here it is, thanks living. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of, of men. And we're going to see that tonight again in, in all four cases, the, the gratitude for God's wonderful work of goodness in them. And so in verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. And so here you have wanderers, right? They're wander, wandering in the wilderness, no, no city to live in, no sanctuary, no house per se, no home. Um, they're hungry, uh, they're thirsty. Definitely brings to mind the time when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, redeemed out of Egypt. And now God sustained them in the wilderness, right? And it was supposed to be uh, probably just a temporary time, not too long. But what ended up happening was they made an 11-day journey a 40-year judgment because they didn't believe. And that, that was their situation. No water, no food, no meat. No problem, right? Because they had God. That, that's what should have happened. But they ended up having no faith. And so that's not a good thing. Some you know, wilderness experiences are okay. But I think what we need to do is make sure that we don't extend our stay. But either way, if you're there, if you're there, you're lost. At the end of the day, you're not home. You're still hungry. You're still thirsty. You know that you're not in that home, in that sanctuary, in that city, in the promised land, so to speak. And I think for us as Christians, we know that's the book of Joshua is the equivalent to the book of Ephesians. And what that is for us as Christians, we're talking about victorious Christian living. We're not wandering in the wilderness. No, we're, we're living this life. None of us perfect, but yes, proper and if you're not there, and whether it's, you know, just because you just got saved or, or it's because maybe you have been uh, a bit unbelieving, it's okay. Right here, right here, God says, listen, all you have to do is what they eventually did, and that is you have to cry out. That's what you have to do. Don't, don't cave in, cry out. What you really need to do is to pray. Right? And Israel is an example of that. They, they, they should have basically wilted in the wilderness, but God showed them mercy. It took some time, but eventually they got their hearts right, and they started believing again, following Joshua, their leader. And the Jordan River split, and the walls of Jericho fell, and they went into the land that God had for them. And so for all of us here, uh, you guys might look at that and you think, well, that's like some you know, vague story for the nation long ago. No, it's every single one of our stories. What land does God have for you to step into? And, and how am I going to get there? I think the, we're going to see it over and over again. You know, and I don't want to sound legalistic or anything, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that you're never going to get there until you live that life. You have that heart to pray. You know, I mean, sometimes people wonder, well, I don't get it. I don't know why it's happening. Well, God's been saying to you for the last 37 years, Mio, I just want you to, to get on your knees and to learn what it really means to pray. 
I mean, even the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was reading it today in Luke chapter 4, before he began his ministry, he was already pleasing the Father. He got baptized, and the Father said, This is my son. I love you so much, and I'm pleased with you. The Holy Spirit descended on him. But then the Holy Spirit, it drove him into the wilderness. What did he do there? He prayed. Spent time with his Father. And then what ended up happening, the enemy came in, tempted him, you know, ain't no thing but a chicken wing, right? Because God now has power, right? And then he just defeats the devil. He steps on the devil. I mean, he just thrashes the devil. And then he goes into ministry empowered. You see, that's what God wants for us. You know, he'll do that for us, whoever we are, wherever we are. But we can't just try, you know, we, we got to cry. And then, we you know, when we're in the land and God is going to bless you guys, then all we need to do from that day forward is stay on track by staying grateful. Back to verse 8 right here. Oh, that, that men would give thanks, right? That, that's what we need to do. Even the promise of verse 9 that God will satisfy us it's there that, you know, like a Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. He's going to bless you with himself. You might not get everything else you want, all the other stuff, but he will bless you with himself. And so we look, first of all, at the wanderer, and then we look, secondly, at the prisoner. Look at verse 10. It says, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. But here it is again. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And I like this. He broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. And it's interesting when you look at this again, in verse 11, notice, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. You know, um, this is, again, they're being disciplined, right? They're getting that trancaso because they didn't look up. They got locked up, right? And so, you know, in their die-cast rebellion and their choice to sin, um, they ended up in prison. You know, verse 10, it tells us they sat in, in darkness. And so when you're there in the dungeons of those days, there's no windows, there's no, there's no lights, right? They're there in the shadow of death. And in other words, you know, think about it, you guys. I mean, imagine the hopelessness of being locked up in a prison knowing that you'll never get out. I mean, who's going to save them when they're, when they're there whenever in Babylon, you know, and they're there whatever, for 70 years. You know, that, that's where they were. You know, they're, they're in the shadow of death. They're left to themselves. They're, they're going to die there. It's a horrible life. Uh, not only that, think about being bound in iron chains. Imagine, 
You know, I sometimes I you know get tired working at home. Imagine forced labor. You know, imagine if you had to carry bricks all day or something like that. You know, I mean, this was their life. And, and you know, and and you know, looking at them, I, I know maybe in some respect you don't really feel sorry for them because, you know, those guys in prison, they're justly incarcerated. They're serving their sentence. You know, they did the crime, even in God's you know vernacular so they're doing the time right they belong there but 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 what the psalm is saying though is that even there God extends his love and his goodness and his mercy even to those criminals and because you know that might be you one day or you know someone be reading the Bible and they might be locked up in prison thinking their life is over and in the middle of that prison cell, God is going to set them free because they're going to read this psalm. You know, what the psalm is saying is that God gives them hope. How many of you here, you, were, you know people that got saved in prison? A lot of us do. Some of you guys got saved in prison. I won't make you raise your hand, but <laughs> it's true. Right, because God didn't, you know, lock you up and throw away the key. God extends his mercy and love to all of us, right? I mean, I, one of my favorite verses, uh, sometimes y'all write the people who are incarcerated, and I like Psalm 79, verse 11. It says, let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are appointed to die. You know, and so, you know, you see that literally um, the children of Israel could have been many times that they were in this predicament. But then I think for us here, um, it also is something figuratively true, right? There are different types of prisons, right? I mean, I, I know uh, prior to being a Christian, I didn't do a lot of time. I got in trouble a couple of times for breaking into the school cafeteria. I did get arrested by the police. I'm, police, I'm not proud of that. Like, I don't have a really strong rap sheet or anything. But, you know, in, in uh, America, I think today, uh, there's 2.2 million people locked up in prison. And, uh, but, but, but how many of the 325 million people in America or in a different type of prison. Huh. And you guys know it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, Jesus said whoever commits sin over and over and over again is a slave of sin. And that could be even us here tonight. Maybe there's something that just got has a hold on you, and you are in church, but you are in chains. You're a prisoner. I mean, it can happen to, to so many of us in so many ways. I, I, I remember my aunt, I mean, my cousin Yvonne and, you know, whatever, you know, gone through a lot all her life. But where does she run to? Rather than running to God, she runs to the bottle. She starts drinking at a young age. She's drinking all her life until one day she gets diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. And so she goes to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you've got to stop drinking or you're going to die. And she says, okay, she, she goes back to her life. She tries, but she can't stop. Uh, she just can't. So she goes, and it gets worse, and she goes, and he says, you've got to stop or you're going to die, and she just can't stop. She's in chains, and she dies. How many times have we heard that story? I mean, today I was looking up some of the um, 
just the statistics on addictions is, is just absolutely amazing. 21 million Americans have at least one addiction. How about if we were to put in there the addiction to the phone? I wonder how many there would be, right? <laughs> you know, but you think about these things, though, the drugs, the overdose um, have actually tripled because we think things are getting better. No, they've tripled since 1990, deaths due to drug overdose. From 1999 to 2017, more than 700,000 Americans died from overdosing on a drug. Alcohol and drug addiction cost the U.S. economy over $600 billion every single year. And I have this article right here from um, this uh, website, uh, amazing, uh, how 30 Americans die every day in alcohol-related car accidents. 6% of American adults have an alcohol use disorder. 130 Americans die every single day from opioid overdose. Over 495,000 Americans over the age of 12 are regular heroin users. In 2017, 886,000 Americans used heroin at least once in that one year, and about 25% of them will become addicted. Over 15,000 Americans died from a heroin overdose in 2017. And just on and on and on, this article talks about all the different drugs, the crystal meth, the crack, the cocaine, and even the marijuana. 35% of those that are seniors in high school use pot. And so, you know, are we free? No, you guys. You know, my dad was a heroin addict. I was a drug addict. I was in prison. I was in chains. You were. A lot of you were. And it didn't take the 12-step. You didn't have to go to rehab. You just went to Jesus, and he broke the chains. He set you free. And it could be different things. I mean, it doesn't have to be drugs. You might be here today, and you're addicted to other things, or you're, you're in bondage to other, other sins. And, and, I, and I just want you to know that God wants you to know you, we don't have to live that way. I mean, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? And that's what we're, we're reading right here. I was a slave. I was an addict. I was incarcerated. Yeah, I had my friends, but the truth is, I was in solitary confinement. I thought I was free, but really, uh, I was not free. And so what do you do? What do you do tonight when you go home? What do you do if you find yourself a wanderer or find yourself a prisoner? It's not a secret. What he's saying right here is they cried out. I cried out to the Lord, and he broke the chains that no one else could break. And he brings them out of darkness, and, and we're free, you know, to, to live this life of gratitude. That's what we're free to do. You know, I love that song we sing sometimes, how there is power in the name of Jesus. You guys like that song? He breaks every chain. Breaks every chain. He breaks every chain. Not just the drug chain, not just the drinking, the anger. Every chain. He breaks every chain. That's what John 8, 36 says. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, this morning I was reading, like I was sharing with you earlier, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, and 
Jesus quoting from Isaiah 61 and just the whole thing, man, I, I really think that God was talking to me because remember I was telling you guys how he went into the wilderness and he was fasting for 40 days and the Holy Spirit lately, he's been telling me that. Again, not to be an ascetic, not to be legalistic or anything, but he's just saying, Manny, do you want this? Do you want, you know, the, the power over whatever, the darkness, the demons? Do you want to see healing and preaching and teaching the way that Jesus, you know, gave it? Well, maybe you might have to pray like this and fast like this. And the Lord just laid it on my heart, okay, this month uh, I want to do something different. Maybe God will show you, like the month of August now, 30 days, maybe he's been speaking to you, I want you to fast. He'll show you how, he'll show you what, he'll give you all the details. But I think as we're seeking the Lord like that, then we're going to see God do what he does best. And there in Luke chapter 4, I love the way that he opens up the scroll, and he's handed the scroll to Isaiah. He opens up to chapter 61. And, and I, it's so cool what he says. Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And, and whether it's addiction, whether it's oppression, that's what Jesus offers. But you have to cry out. And so the wanderer, uh, the prisoner, and then the sufferer at death's door. Notice in verse 17, he says, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And then they, again, it's not, you guys, we don't have to have a degree, you know, to be this, this Christian. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And then when he does that, it just, it's real simple. This is all we got to do. Thanks, living. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his words with rejoicing. And so, you know, the description here is of someone who's at death's door, but the reason they're there is because of their sin, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities. Um, notice there again in verse 18, their soul abhorred all manner of food. Now, you know, you know someone's dying when they don't want to eat, I think. That's kind of the way it works. I can't even imagine, like, not wanting food. I mean, you throw a pizza there, a cheeseburger. I mean, it's like, I don't care if I've already had three. It just it sounds so good to me, right? But the fish, I remember when I had the fish, and I, you guys ever have fish? And you know when they're dying, when they stop eating, huh? And so here's an individual here, they're at death's door, not because God's calling them home per se, or not necessarily because it's a natural thing that's next. It's because they're in sin, they're in transgression. But even to them, God will show mercy, right? God specializes in this. I like Psalm 68, verse 20. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Not only that, you know, but I've talked to a lot of people, and I've felt it myself. When someone beats you up or someone lets you down, 
Sometimes you even feel like that you're dying inside. You know, I've talked to many, many, you know, wives and especially wives for whatever reason. It seems like us guys, we have a hard time treating our wife the way that she should be treated and loving them the way they should be loved. And I just get so frustrated and, and just even like angry because I see so many guys that are unfaithful to their wives. You know, and, and how does a wife feel? How, how does she feel in a situation like that? You know, how does she feel? She's dying inside. And that's why so many people, not just wives, but young people and you name it, man, a whole bunch of people, they, they think about committing suicide. They're, they're just dying inside. And God says, when you're there, you're at death's door, the enemy's, the Bible says, is a, he's a thief, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to remember the second half of John 10, 10, that I have come, that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. You know, God specializes in this. Our God is the God of salvation. You know, they, they just cried out. And I like what it says right here in verse 20. Notice again, when they cried out in their troubles, and he, and he saved them out of the distresses, verse 20 says, He sent his word and, and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I will say this. If you ever feel down and out and discouraged and depressed, or you want to die, open up the Bible. Open up your heart. It's like a miracle sometimes, and you watch the way that God will speak to you. John Corson said that when you cry out to the Lord, he'll whisper in your heart, get back into my word. And, and what we find right here is that God will meet us, whether we're the wanderer, the prisoner, you know, the sufferer at death's door, and then the last one he mentions is a sailor in the storm. Look at verse 23. It says, Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the ways of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. It's like, man, I can't do anything. I can't figure this out. And, and then it says, when they're there, they cry out to the Lord again in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses and he calms the storm so that its waves are still. And then they are glad because they are, they are quiet or peaceful. So he guides them, notice, to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. You know, and we find ourselves in different places in life. I think that, you know, when the Lord was talking to Adam and he, and he said, where are you? I think that's a probing question that sometimes we need to ask ourselves because we don't really know 
our spiritual geography. It's almost like we're driving, but we don't know where we're going. We don't know where we're at, but we just keep going. And God says, hold on a second. As a Christian, I, I want you to know what's up. I want you to know your spiritual geography. Are you a wanderer who's lost and, and has not yet entered into the promised land? Or are you a prisoner? Is there anything in your life that's overpowering you and you know it's there, but you've never really identified it for what it is. They're chains, even though you're part of the church. Or, you know, are you here at, at death's door and really lots of things are dying in your life and the enemy's trying to take it away? Or, or what about this one? Now, this one's interesting. The sailor is interesting because this is the only one mentioned where God doesn't say, because you messed up, now you're in the storm. No, he doesn't say that. It's interesting, you may have noticed it's the first time we see troubles and trials and tribulations, even though no negative behavior is mentioned. I mean, these are just people just going down to the sea, just doing God's business right there in his ocean. And, and it's, that, to me, you know what this is? This is like ministry. This is like someone who's saying, the Lord says to his disciples, I want you to go you know, into the ocean, into the, the, the Sea of Galilee, I want you to go to the other side. That, that's what this is to me. Like, I, okay, I'm just going into ministry. And when you're in the, the storm even and you're experiencing the opposition, but you're doing what Jesus told you to do, then, then you know, you, when you're there, you're going to see the, the, the works of the Lord. You will see his wonders in the deep. You won't see it on the shallows. You won't see it in the dry land but you'll see it when you follow the lord and, and you take that step into the wonders of the deep it's there you'll see these waves i, I think they said some of them were taller than the emperor state building i don't know if that's possible but you know i mean just crazy waves you know and you're and all this kind of stuff and and you're out there you guys remember that's what happened with the disciples jesus you know said go to the other side and he sent them right into this crazy storm and you might wonder why why lord all i'm trying to do is the right thing all i'm trying to do is serve you i'm not a perfect man we're not perfect people but god you know there's a sincerity of my heart i love you lord and why is all this happening you know and uh, sometimes it's because we messed up but a lot of times it's because we're doing the right thing and, and when you're there, you might wonder, well, then why? Why am I going through this craziness? Why am I sinking? It seems like you're sinking. And, and, and the answer is because of what happened in the story. You guys remember when they were out there in the storm and Jesus was on the sidelines and he's letting them experience everything? What's Jesus doing? He's praying for them. And then at the fourth watch of the night, what does he do? He goes and he walks on water towards them. And what ends up happening is because of the fact that Jesus shows you who he is, who he really is in that personal way, you will never be the same. And sometimes the depths of our relationship and fellowship with God can only be experienced in these storms of life. And that's where, that's where they were. And, and, and as you're there... Nothing changes. We do the same thing. We don't cave in. We cry out. We don't pretend with the superficial, like, you know, prayer life that that's not real. 
I mean, it's interesting. He doesn't tell you what they said, you know, not, not even the words help. All I know is there was a cry. And our prayer life has to be that. Again, not trying to tell you you have to pray for hours or legalistic or ascetics and stuff like that. But I am saying this, that, that sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. And, and what we need to do is, is to have the, cultivate a life of, of obedient prayer. And, and when you do, when you cry out, you know, then the Lord comes. And, and then it's so cool what it says right here. That, that when he you know, meets them, you know, it says that they're at their wit's end. They don't know what to do. They can't figure it out. So now all you can do is pray. And then, you know, you really, truly, honestly pray. And when you really honestly pray, there's a, something about really giving it to God. And that's when you can tell. And you can go and you can talk to somebody who's going through trials and stuff. And you can tell, you know what? They have given it to God because it's not tormenting them. They're not worried about it. They have cast their care on him because he cares for them. And you just stand back because when you see people doing that, you just stand back because you know God is about to show up. Because they really pray. I'm not saying they're going to get necessarily what they always want, but God will show up. And that's what we see here is, is mentioned. You know, he brings you to your desired haven, and that is so cool, you know, because isn't, I think that's what we want. We're tired of being the person that we've been for too long, and we just we want to get there. We want to be different. We want to grow. And you would have never known that that's what you've always wanted. But he says right there that that's where they end up. And, you're, and when you're there, and, and you guys, I'm telling you this, this is not for, well, that's for Martin Luther and, and Chuck Smith and a couple of the other pastors, but, but not for me. No way, man. All of us. It's for all of us. And, and when you're there and you watch, it's a different life. Oh, that men would give thanks. And so the psalmist then closes with the general description of, of how it all works, God's ways, right? He turns rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. And that's God, right? He disciplines. You read 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah bursts onto the scene, and he says, it's not going to rain until I say. Why? Because God was dealing with them. God was disciplining them, right? So God can do that. But then in verse 35, this is the same God. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. And so first the discipline, then the, the deliverance. And there he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest he also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. And when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. And yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise, as we read this psalm, will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. 
and, and you read the psalm and you read your Bible and, and you, you understand who God is and, and how God is. He's holy and yet he's gracious. He, he's sovereign and in that sovereignty though, we're free and he's loving and he disciplines and, and he delivers and, and we're bad and we go through bad things when they're isolated in and of themselves but somehow in his brilliance he's good and he and he works it all out for your good you know as, as you live life i pray that we would know this summary of who and how god is you know the the rich man the the man who doesn't think he needs god god's going to deal with him but the poor man the one who's humble the one who says, you know, I need you, Jesus. Come into my life. I don't know for sure. Maybe you're here today and you haven't yet given your life to Christ. He loves you. He died on a cross for you. Uh, what God is saying is believe in me and I will set you free. That, that first step, right? But even for us as Christians, I mean, it doesn't end there. There's still many steps that have to be taken and when we're there and uh, I don't know about you guys what's it gonna take to make you fall to your knees what's it gonna take to, to make you fast what's it gonna take to bring you to that life of, uh, of obedience and prayer and then when you go and you pray it's the most wonderful thing in the world huh it's kinda like when you're kids you didn't want to take a bath but when you got in you didn't want to leave it's kinda like that huh when you really really pray you know, as we live life, you guys, in closing, keep this in mind. At the end of, of life, here's what I'm going to say, okay? And then you guys know I'm weird, but I'm going to just try to make you remember this. I don't want you to say, I tried. I want you to say, I cried. When I look back on my life, it's not just I tried, I tried, I tried. That's like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Never going to happen. No, you can look back and you can honestly say, I, I cried. You can talk to any Christian, and that's the one thing they'll tell you, I, I wish I would have prayed more. Well, let's learn from them, right? That's what we see here over and over again. The prisoner, the wanderer, the one at death's door, you know, the sailor, they all cried out to God. Have you come to that place of prayer uh, where you simply pray and obey and you watch God shows up, man, because what he does is he leads the wanderer back, he sets the prisoner free, he heals the one who feels like they're dying, and he rescues those who are sinking. And when that happens in your life, what's next? Is it, is it thanksgiving? Yeah, but, but even more than that, it's, it's thanks living, right? And, and I know that if we can at least have that heart, to say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And your whole life is a life of gratitude because you just never forget what he's done for you. 